So go to Mark 1, 35, 39, mark your spot. And once you've got that and got it marked, then you can flip back to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, I believe is where we'll start at. Matthew 14, verse 22, will be there first, and from there we'll move over into John 14, verses 7 to 11, but I'll give you a heads up on that one in a moment. But everybody's kind of got your flipping done. Let's go ahead and open up in a word of prayer, and we will get started. Let's pray. God, we thank you again for an opportunity that you've allowed us to be back here in your house and to worship you and, God, to study your word and to learn a little more about your word and, God, the importance of prayer. Uh, God, you just have so reminded me this week, God, of the importance of it. And Although we all know that prayer is important, God, it is so, so important. Uh, Lord, that as we talk to you and as we read your word, God, how you just you you kind of keep us reminded, Lord, and uh, because Lord, we forget, and Lord, we sometimes we start not doing things that we know that we should be doing, but we just get busy. And God, I'm so thankful that you remind us of the value of praying and talking to you. And God, it's it's impossible to honor you with our lives, God, or to serve you or to follow you without talking to you. And so, God, tonight as we look at the prayer life of Jesus. Lord, just, just a glimpse, just kind of getting off into it just a little bit. Lord, as we look at the importance of, of how important he found prayer to be, God, and if he found it to be that important, God, how much more should we? So, Lord, I pray you would speak into our lives tonight your word. God, make it come alive, and God, direct us in the ways you'd have us to go. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, tonight, again, as we'll start off in Matthew 14, as we see here, there's a lot going on here in Matthew chapter 14, but we're just going to look here at what my Bible titles, Jesus Walks on the Sea, and yours probably titles it something similar as well. And this incident that we're about to look at comes right after the feeding of the 5,000, which was a pretty, pretty huge miracle in the Gospel of Matthew here in chapter 14. But he's done this, and it tells us here in verse 22, right after we come out of that, it says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. It says, And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. Now, this here just kind of reminded me today as I was, I got up this morning, kind of got alone and kind of studied through this again. And God really showed me some things today that I hadn't really noted in quite a while. And it was a good, good reminder for me. And I hope it is for you tonight. But, um, you know, seeing Jesus here in the, in the feeding of the 5,000, I couldn't imagine. I could not honestly imagine being on a hillside and 5,000 people comes out wanting to be fed. Uh, I don't think I've ever been in that big of a crowd having to conduct some kind of meeting, not, not that size. And uh, so I, I could imagine what that must, how difficult that must be. But we see here that he sends the disciples across the sea in the boat. And then the part I want you to notice, verse 23, it says that he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. 
Now that's the part I want you to get out of this little passage here before we get any further. And that is that this. Jesus demonstrates right here to me now uh, that there's uh, any type of ministry is physically and spiritually draining. If you do any kind of ministry for God, it is physically and spiritually draining. Um, and I know Brother Andy has spoke before. I've heard him speak on, on the Internet, so I could use him as an example. But I don't know about you, but I'm sure you're probably the same way that I am. After Sunday is over, I am wasted. I got nothing left, man. I just Because what it is is all week long I have prayed and I've read and I've prayed and I've read and I've studied. And the whole time I know Sunday's coming. <laughs> it's coming. It's like, you know, it's like you can't get around it. It's coming, you know, and... Uh, at home, everybody knows that my favorite day of the week is Monday. It's my favorite day. That's most people's non-favorite day of the week, but it's my favorite day. Why? It is the furthest away from Sunday. You can't get any further away from Sunday than Monday. So when I get up on Monday, I'm already praying and thinking about next Sunday, but I'm thankful that I got all those days in front of me before it gets there. So Monday's kind of like a la-la-la-la-la day. You know, it's like I'm just, I'm like running through the flowers. I'm having a good time. You know, like, woo! You know, I'm like a kid in a candy store because I'm like, I can actually breathe today. Tuesday, a little more stress because I'm thinking about Wednesday and Sunday. Wednesday, I'm thinking about Wednesday all day long, Wednesday night. And then Thursday, I get up and I go, oh, Sunday's almost here. And then Friday and Saturday, it's crunch, 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 you know. And so when I get through Sunday morning and then Sunday night, when I get in the car, I'm just, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. And so... Uh, and I don't, and, and like I say, if you've done it, you know what I'm talking about. But this is kind of where Jesus is coming from. I mean, he had just ministered right here to all of these people. He sends the disciples away. It's kind of neat to me that he didn't even, I mean, I don't, I'm not trying to read something into this that's not there. I'm not saying he didn't want to be with the disciples. But I find it to be interesting that he even sent the disciples away and he just went all by himself he just needed to be alone with the Father and, and pray and talk. And so we need to understand that tonight ministry is physically and spiritually draining. And I would ask you the question, what is ministry? Well, I wrote down a lot of things here that I think we could classify as ministry. And I'm sure I probably left something out. But that's preaching, that's singing, playing music, working in the food pantry, feeding the families that have lost loved ones like a lot of these people, ladies did today and men. Uh, Visiting the sick and shut-ins, running the sound system, teaching Sunday school, working with the children and the youth, cleaning the church, and I'm probably left something out. But all of these things are ministry. So basically, we can say ministry is this: anything that you do for the glory of God. If you do it, to, oops, sorry, if you do it to honor God, then it's a ministry. It doesn't matter what it is. I think sometimes we have a, 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 a sense of categorizing ministries as big things and little things. It ain't, ain't so. Anything you do to bring honor and glory to God, it's a ministry. And those ministries can't be pulled off without spending time with God. And that's what we see here in the ministry of Jesus is that he had to spend time with the Father in order to be successful. Even though he was uh, the Son of God in flesh form, he still had to spend time with the Father. He still had to pray. He still had to talk to God. He had to commune with Him. And we can't be any different. Matter of fact, go with me to John chapter 14. I told you we'd be going there in just a second. John chapter 14. We're going to pick up in verse 7, go down to verse 11. So as you're flipping there, 
Any ministry, I'll say this while you're, while you're flipping, any ministry you do for God, I don't believe you're going to ever going to be, you're not going to be able to do that ministry successfully the way God ha would have you to do it if you don't spend time with God to pray about it. And I know you may say, Brother Vance, I vacuum the floor. Is that really something I need to pray about? Yeah. Pray while you vacuum. Hey, I, I honestly, I, and, and I know it sounds cheesy, but I, I've done stuff like this before. I've been in churches where, you know, I, I saw something that needed to be done in the church during the week. And, um, and so I go grab a vacuum cleaner. And, and I'm always amazed by this. But, uh, like, well, I'll, I'll use Patterson Baptist because that popped into my head. But Miss Bonnie, she cleans the church over there. And, and if, you know, if my, my office floor ever got messy, I'd just go get a vacuum cleaner and vacuum it. And she'd see me and she'd be like, oh, you can't do, don't you vacuum that floor? And I'm like, why not? You're the, you're the associate pastor. I'm like, I can do this. You know? I mean, in other words, I'm not too good to do this. You get know what I'm saying? But, and, and I've been in a sanctuary like that before when church was over. And I knew she was coming in to clean the church. And I saw a mess. And I thought, you know what? I'll just go clean it up. And while I'm in there cleaning it up, you know, I, I found myself just, you know, cleaning up stuff and praying for the people who are going to be sitting in the pews that next Sunday. You know, walking through the aisles, picking up stuff and going, you know what? And it's funny because if you stand it for long enough, you start to remember where everybody sits. See, that's what's funny. When I'm, I've only been here like three weeks, not even quite four yet, and, and I'm starting to get a little bit up my head, but if I stay here long enough, when I close my eyes to pray, I can see every one of you guys, and I can work my way so you can't move, okay? You have to stay where you're at. No, I'm kidding. But as I'm praying, I can kind of work through the pews, and I can see you guys, and, and it helps me to pray for you. But so sometimes when I'm walking through the pews and stuff at other churches that I've been at, and I'm doing stuff, I'll just be mindful, oh, you know, sister so-and-so sits here, and I'd stop and pray for them. So, yeah, if you're vacuuming the floor, you can, that's still a ministry. You can still pray while you do that. But notice here in John 14. John 14, verse 7, Jesus said this, and, and it's talking about the emphasis on being alone with God for refueling. And verse 10 is really the one we want to look at. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father, and it, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the father. So now can you say, show us the father? And this is the, the verse I want us to look at. He says, do you not believe that I am in the father and the father in me? Here we go. The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the work. So here's the deal. All right, if the Son of God found it important to spend time with God the Father in order to know what to speak, then how much more important is it that you and I spend time with God in order to know what to speak? We can't do anything at the church or in the world, on our jobs or anywhere else, as far as ministry goes, if we don't talk to God. Dr. Dr. Ken Hiphill, and I referenced this book last week, uh, the author of The Antioch Defect, he made this, this statement. He said, If the perfect Son of God was totally dependent upon the Father for direction and empowering, what is the level of our need? How about we can't do anything without Him? That's the level of my need. I can't do anything apart from God. Do I try sometimes? Yes. 
Is it evident when I do? Yes. You know why? Because it usually just goes, I spit on you, I'm sorry. But it, it, it just fails. It just falls flat. Why? Because I can't do anything. But sometimes I get out ahead of God. God gives me an idea sometimes, and I just rush ahead with it. The idea was spot on, but God says, but my timing's not exactly right yet. You're, you're like, you're way out in front of me. Jesus is the leader. I'm the follower. I follow him. I can't get out in front of him. When I do, it's, um, it's going to mess up. Now flip with me over to Mark. This is where I really want us to get to tonight. As we're looking, uh, just thinking about, we're just kind of laying some groundwork here. Go to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, you should already be there. Verse 35 is where we're going to start at. But I want you to note something before we jump right into verse 35. Have you ever noticed how many times Mark uses the word immediately? Have you ever put any thought into that? He uses the word immediately a lot. Matter of fact, in chapter 1, he uses the word immediately eight times. And then, and, uh, and then he also uses some, uh, another group of words that kind of means something similar to immediately in verse 29. And he says, now as soon. So, you know, so there's eight times of immediately and one time is now as soon. So you put those together, you could almost say nine times. And that's just in the first chapter. He uses it a lot. Matter of fact, my Bible, my commentary and my Bible even makes this statement about this. He said, Mark portrays Jesus as a servant on the move. And if you read through the book of Mark, you, you kind of get that idea. Um, matter of fact, uh, Dr. Hemphill, again, he made this comment about it. He says, Mark's gospel is one of continuous activity and breakneck pace. The word immediately is characteristic of the entire gospel. If you read it, you'll see it always happening. Mark makes it sound like it's just boom, boom. But, you know, and I, and I imagine probably the ministry of Jesus was probably a lot like that. Because... Uh, you know, we're lumping in about three and a half years of ministry in just a couple of pages, really. And so, and even John writes and says, I, I can't remember exactly how he says it now, but he says something to the effect that I suppose if everything or every miracle that Jesus performed was written down, that even the books couldn't contain them. In other words, this is not everything that he did. This is just what they made note of. And so, um, so you could just imagine that in his ministry here, he was from one thing to the next, one thing to the next. So... When you read the Gospel of Mark, you kind of think about Jesus being busy and, and always uh, dealing with people and uh, ministry or things of that nature. So as we jump here into verse 35, uh, I'll tell you what, let's back up into verse 29. Is that okay? I may have just thrown Ron a curveball. Uh, back up into verse 29. And this kind of gives us a little bit of background leading into verse 35. It says, Now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew, they were brothers, with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Now he is Jesus. And immediately the fever left her and she served them. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Could you imagine? Then he healed many 
who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. And then we get into verse 35. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Now, again, they're, they're gathered here in Simon and Andrew's house. We read where it says that uh, uh, Simon's mother-in-law was sick. Jesus healed her. It says the whole city had gathered together there at the door. You could just imagine the multitudes there. The Bible says that he healed many. Uh, they were sick of various diseases. Diseases. He cast out demons. Uh, and, and so he had a busy day here in the city, out, right there in, in Simon Peter's house and Andrew's. And, and then it says in the morning, a long while before daylight. So it's still dark. He gets up. He doesn't tell anybody where he's going. He gets up early. He departs to a solitary place. There he went to pray. Now, I sit and I thought about that a lot today. And so, you know, we see Jesus here got up early in the morning. I'm not going to tell you you got to get up early in the morning to pray. Uh, if, if midday works better for you or nighttime works better for you, that's, that's whatever works better for you. But I would honestly advocate early in the morning simply because you kind of get to talk to God before you ever get your day started, you know. In other words, it's good to talk to God because he already knows all the things you're going to run into before the day starts, you don't. And um, so if you wait till the problem arises to talk to God, that problem may, may set you back a bit. But if you spend time in the mornings with God, I'm not saying you got to get it before daybreak. Some people do four. Matter of fact, somebody just told me Sunday here at church that they got up at 4 a.m. Who was that? Wasn't any of you guys. I don't know who told me that. Somebody came to me and said, oh, I get up like at 4 a.m. and I spend time. I'm like, man, I can't do that. Okay, I, I can get up, but not four. But whatever time works best for you, but I think morning time is good. And we see that Jesus here, he gets up early. Before daybreak, he goes and he finds a solitary place. My Bible defines that as a deserted place. And, and I, I thought about that today and I thought, I, you know, I can understand the solitary place. Why? No distractions. Have you ever tried to spend time alone with God when there were distractions? It doesn't work very well, does it? I mean, honestly, some of the best times I've ever spent with God is probably being in a tree climber. Why? Because there's no distractions. I'm not seeing any deer. Maybe that's why I'm not seeing any deer. I don't know. So there's definitely no deer to distract me, you know. So I'm out there, and I'm in the woods. It's quiet. It's peaceful. And, man, I can, I can have some good prayer times, you know. And so, um, but, but it is important to get in a place where there's no distractions. Slide your phone to one side. Matter of fact, leave it in another room if you need to. But you need to get along with God. I've started since I've, um, and I've not gotten a habit yet, but I'm working on this. I'm going to try to set my time a little earlier than I did today. But since we've been back in Georgia, we've accumulated a lot of junk. Um, anybody else have that issue? We've it's, it's, it's not junk to us. It's stuff, right? But only in America could you make a living at selling storage bills to hold people's junk. You know what I'm saying? I mean, only in America could you do that. But anyway, so we, we went and got us a, a decent-sized storage building to put behind our home, and, and it, it has lofts in it, so we got stuff up top. But I have set me up a little desk area in there. And so I've kind of went out there a couple times already, but today, what are y'all laughing at? <laughs> y'all like y'all know something, okay. Okay. Um, but anyway, 
So this morning I was able to pull off outside there and spend a couple of hours alone in prayer and Bible study. And I'll be honest with you, it's one of the best days that I've had in prayer that I've had in a while. Simply because I got out there, not, not that I was wanting to get away from my wife and children. Uh, but it is nice to get away where it's quiet and I'm not distracted. And I don't have to worry about being distracted. And I can, and you know what? And when you do that, God wants to speak to us. He really does. And I think sometimes we have a hard time hearing him because of all the distractions. Because if you're like me, I can sit down sometimes to try to spend time with God. And if I'm in my house, which is where I do it a lot, but if I sit down somewhere, like have a little desk inside as well, but when I'm trying to pray and listen to God, I will look around the room and see things that need to be done. Anybody else do that? And I'll look and go, you know, I'll be in my prayer time, and I'll look over and go, you know what, I meant to put that up a while ago. And I'll get up and go get it and go put it up. And then when I got to put that up, then I got to doing something else. And 10 minutes later, I go, I was supposed to be praying. And I go back and sit down, and, it's, and this goes on. But here's what I want to tell you. The enemy would rather distract you from spending time with God than anything else. And he'll use simple little mundane things of your day to distract you from spending time alone with God. That's why anytime you sit down to read your Bible, you get the sleepiest probably that you've ever been. Uh, the phone rings the most. You know, the dog's barking outside at something. You know, I mean, it's, it's constantly something, but always trying to rob you of that time with God. Get in a solitary place as Jesus did where there was no distractions. And Jerry Vines, uh, used to be the pastor of Jacksonville First Baptist, said, Jesus understood that if he was going to give out, he had to take in. So we're talking about ministry here. Jesus was doing public ministry and everything that we've read thus far. You and I talked about doing public ministry. We're doing ministry in the church. We're doing ministry in the community and our families. You can't continue to give out, give out, give out if you don't take in. Sooner or later, you're going to run out because you can't give out what you don't have. You've got to spend time with God being refueled in order to minister to other people. You have to be ministered to as well. And matter of fact, I got a quote here that I don't know who said it. I wrote down unknown. I heard it years ago and it's always stuck with me. But it says, God is not going to do anything with you publicly till you have done something with him privately. And I have never forgot that. If we want God to do a work in our lives, then we got to spend time with him alone. He's not going to do anything publicly with you until you do something with him privately, which means we've got to spend time one-on-one -on -one with God. We talked about David a couple of Sunday nights ago when he defeated Goliath. David was able to defeat Goliath, and we may go back and look at him again this upcoming Sunday night, but he was able to defeat Goliath because of what he had done with God alone many days and many nights out on that uh, pasture tending to his father's sheep. He spent one-on-one -on -one time with God, talked to God. God talked to him. That's why he knew that when he stepped down on that battlefield that he could be victorious because he had spent time with God. Had he not spent time, and to be honest with you, which is probably the reason the rest of the army wasn't very effective, nor Saul, because honestly, they probably hadn't spent the time with God that they needed to. We're not going to be victorious in this life if we don't spend time with God. Notice, uh, notice verse 36 and 37 here. It says, And Simon and those who were with him, they searched for him. Okay, so here's what's going on. Big day of ministry the day before. I don't know where the crowd went. I don't know if they went home and came back. Uh, 
The Bible tells us that Jesus got up before daylight, went to a solitary place. Obviously, it's daylight now, and everybody in the house is starting to stir. They're getting up. They can't find Jesus. Obviously, the crowd has come back at this point because Simon Peter mentions them. It says in verse 30, uh, in verse 36, it says, And Simon and those who were with him, they searched for him. And then verse 37 says, When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. Now, I don't know about you, but I could almost hear that in Peter's voice. Almost like, what are you doing? Everybody's looking for you. You know, kind of like, chop, chop, Jesus, come on. We got people waiting. You know, does anybody else, can you hear that in his voice? That's, I mean, because Peter was kind of boisterous anyway, and he often said things he shouldn't say. That's the reason I can see that. He had that, um, that disease where you stick your foot in your mouth a lot. But he says, everyone is looking for you. Now, here's what I also can kind of gather from this. I believe Peter kind of had already made plans for Jesus that day. It's kind of like, look, the people have come back. We need to get down to the house. You know, those, those people you were healing yesterday, well, they've come back for more. We got to get on down there, Jesus. We got work to do. And, and matter of fact, you could almost say that maybe Peter uh, was making plans for Jesus that day based on the desires of the people. And I know you're probably going, Brother Vince, where are you going with all this? Well, here's where I'm going with all this. Notice what happens in the next verse. But he said to them, he being Jesus, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have came forth. Now, is that, that is probably not what Peter was expecting to hear. Here's this group of people that is gathered down there, and they're at Peter's house, and Peter's going, hey, we got to get down there. We've been looking for you. You know, time's ticking. They've been waiting for 30, 45 minutes. Uh, you know, the oatmeal's getting cold. We got to get on down there. You know, the coffee's made. We got to get down there, Lord. And he's probably expecting Jesus to go, well, let's go. Well, let's get on down there. And Jesus says, nah, let's don't go back down there. Let's go over to the next town. Let's go minister there. He said, because this is the, pers this is the purpose that I came for. Now, I don't know about you, but we see something going on here. Um, well, let me ask you this. I'll ask it to you this way. How many of you guys would let ego get in the way and go, well, I want to go back down there because there's a crowd waiting on me. My ego might have got my way, Brother David. I ain't going to lie to you. Because here's the thing. If we're not careful, and, and hear me when I say this, I think this is, a, this is a, um, a trap, maybe is the right word to use, that we, we run across in church, is we measure success based on numbers. Do we not? The more you got following, the more that's showing up, the more successful you are. That's what we do sometimes, which is not true. I mean, if we're going to go by numbers, Jesus was a complete failure because he had people that came to him heard what he had to say, and then went away sorrowful because they just couldn't accept what he had to say. He even turned people away. They came to me and says, I've done all of these things. What do I got to do to be a disciple? He says, you got to do this. And they'd shake their head and walk off. You could almost hear a, a church growth person behind him going, this ain't going to work. You, you got you to start keeping people. You're sending them away. So we can't base it on numbers. 
But sometimes if we're not careful as church leaders, and I'm guilty of it, I have had times in my ministry over the last 20 years of walking into a church and not seeing very many people and going, what did I do wrong? Where's everybody at? Did I offend them last week? You know, did I not preach long enough? Did I preach too long? Did my suit, was my suit too dark? Was it too bright? Did I not wear one? You know, I mean, you go and you'll beat yourself up all day long trying to figure out. And then, then I start analyzing the weeks before a sermon. I did say that. You know, that one person did look at me funny. You know, I mean, and then you're, you know, truth be known, they probably wasn't even listening. But, you know, but I saw that look on her face, up, you know. And then, and so what I'm saying is we have a tendency to get to, to base success and growth on all the wrong things. I kind of have a tendency to lean toward Gideon a little bit. He only had 300 men, and he defeated an entire army. So, you know, I'm just like, hey, if we can get 50 people to, to show up that falls in love with Jesus Christ, man, let's go. You know, we don't need 2,000. Uh, we just need 50 that loves the Lord. I'd rather have 50 that loves the Lord than 2,000 that don't, to be honest with you, because it's easy to boast about numbers. And you know what? If you, get a, if you get a charismatic speaker in a band, you could probably draw 300 people in here and it wouldn't be that hard. But it doesn't mean that it would be what God wanted. And so this is where... See, Peter was trying to say, Lord, we need to get down there because this is where the crowd's at. And Jesus says, no, that's not, that's not what we need to do. And so I say this, to, to, I said all that to say this. How did Jesus know that? I mean, of course, I mean, beside the fact that he's the Son of God... But how did he know that? How did he know he didn't need to go back down to Simon Peter's house? And I'll tell you why. He prayed. The Bible tells us that he got up before daylight and he went and spent time with the Father. There's no doubt that in spending time with the Father, he got direction and he was, you know, he was mindful of this is what my ministry is here. Even though Peter's come and said, hey, look, there's a multitude up there. Jesus said, that, you know, I'm sorry, but we need to go over here. I need to go over here. Because see, the thing is, too, Jesus knew how much time he had. And he had a ministry. And, he, and, and, he, and I believe he spent time with God the Father to stay on track in that ministry. And so you and I cannot allow people or anything else to distract us or events or, or anything. We can't allow things to pull us away from spending time with God. And it's easy and that's one thing that I can honestly say in ministry that is so easy. It is so easy to get distracted by stuff and programs and all kinds of things. And I'm not against any of those things. But if they don't glorify God and they're, they're robbing you of more time than they're bringing you closer to God, then sometimes they are, they're in the way. Uh, and so we have to be very mindful of the time that we spend with God because I personally... And I'm, I'm telling you all my, my flaws tonight, but personally, I have been so busy, and I, I was convicted several years ago. And I mean, it was a, it was a revel, just a, a revelation moment for me, I guess. But I'm convinced that if you spend time with God like you're supposed to on a daily basis, you can't burn out in ministry. I'm convinced that you can't. And I'm convinced that if you burn out, it's because you're not spending time with God. That's what I believe. I'm not saying you don't need a, va a vacation from time to time. I ain't saying, I'm not saying that at all. But when I spend time with God like I'm supposed to, He always recharges me and gives me that desire to go. It's in the times that I feel like I can't probably put one foot in front of the other. It's because I'm doing... I'm sorry, I forget that's there. But it's because I'm doing it in my own power. And I had a time in my ministry several, several, several years ago when I got to a point where I couldn't only really drag. 
I mean, I just felt like I was just one thing was rolling in. One Sunday was rolling to the other. We was having two Sundays a week. You know, y'all ever had one? You know, two Sundays a week. You know, it was hospital visits and it was this and it was that. And I was just one thing to the next. And I finally just hit a point. I was like, Lord, I, I'm exhausted. And as, in my time of prayer, this is what I felt like God told me. He said, Vance, when are you going to stop working for me and start walking with me? And that was just like, Boom. And I sit there and I thought, I kind of, I'm doing that, aren't I? I was doing the church stuff, but I was so busy doing the stuff that everybody expected me to do that I wasn't spending the time with God that I needed to spend with God. And it finally got to the point where I just had to say, this time every day is mine and God's time. If anything happens in that moment, it's just going to have to wait Hang in there. I'll be there shortly. You know, it's, it's just, that's, that's it. That's it. And so every morning I got where I started, um, I think I was taking the summer to school or something like that, and then I would go back to my home because the church wasn't very far from where I was at. I'd go back to my home, and I had a bench in my front yard, and I'd go every morning. I'd sit on that bench with my Jerry J's coffee, and I'd sit there, and me and God, we'd just talk. I mean, just... If you drove up my yard and saw me, you'd probably thought I was crazy because I was just talking out loud. Some days I'd just walk around the yard, me and, me and God and Jerry J's, just drinking the coffee and talking to God. And, and we'll get into that more in detail next week about uh, you know, the Lord's Prayer. But if we're going to minister for God, then we've got to spend time with God. If you don't, you will, you will wear yourself out because... We do the stuff for God, but God is more concerned with you spending time with Him than He is you doing the stuff. The stuff will wear you out if you do it without God. And so this is where I think we're at. Peter's going, hey, the people's waiting on you, and Jesus is going, well, you know, it ain't about the people. It's about God. It's about Him being glorified in my life, and today He says we need to go over there. I got one more Dr. Hemp Hill quote for you. He said, Jesus spent time in prayer not only to experience the full empowering of his Father, but also to have the clear direction of his Father. We spend time with God, he, he, he lines us up. He shows us which way we need to go. And also, when you spend time along with God, you have a clear perspective of what ministry is and what it's supposed to be and how it's supposed to go. Flip with me real quick like over to Acts 16. And I'm going to close with this thought. I'm actually ending a lot sooner tonight than I thought I would. And I apologize to you guys. I feel like I've gypped you. Of course, we ain't done yet. <laughs> but anyway, it is going a lot shorter than I, I, I thought this would go a lot longer. That's the reason I stopped with my notes when I did. I thought, man, this will take us an hour. But you guys have had a long day. I don't like Wednesdays to be real long anyway. Y'all have worked. You're tired. Acts 16. This is, uh, your Bible probably titles it the same thing mine does, called the Macedonian Call. This is Paul. And here, of course, in Acts 16, Paul picks up young Timothy here on his mission trips. And he's got Timothy here with him. And it says in verse 6, and I'll try to get all these names right of these places. It says, But now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. 
Now, after now they had come to Messiah, they tried to go to Beth Bethania, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Messiah, they came down to Tros, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, I chose to tack this on tonight simply because we've been talking about the prayer life of Jesus, and we're going to go back there more than likely next Wednesday. And I know we've kind of ventured off of Jesus just for a moment and got into the Apostle Paul here. But this came to mind today when I was studying, and it's a fine example that Paul had... More or less, if you read back through his missionary journeys, um, he often plotted a course. In other words, he would go on one visit, like his first missionary journey, and he would plant churches, and, and he would uh, meet people and lead them to the Lord and things of that nature. And then on the next trip, he would want to go back and visit some of these churches that he had already st helped start. And he would want to go back by and encourage them and strengthen them and uh, just kind of visit them and touch base with them. And so that was nothing uncommon, but before he started, he kind of wanted to lay his trip out. And we kind of do that sometimes too. There's nothing wrong with making plans, but we can't be married to those plans. We need to be more attached to God than our own plans because God changes plans. Um, things don't often go the way you want them to. I'll go ahead and say it. 99.9% .9 of life doesn't go the way you want it to go, okay? Or at least it doesn't in my life. God has a whole nother plan than uh, what I have sometimes. But Paul says here that he had a particular place that he wanted to go. And he had, um, he had made plans to go and visit these places. Now, I no doubt from what I read in God's Word that Paul was a praying man. He was a guy that, that spent time with God on a daily basis. But in the process of this trip, he gets to a place there, and he had this desire to go here, and God uh, appeared to him in a vision. And in his vision was a man of Macedonia. And he was pleading with Paul to come over here. Now, I'm sure the Bible doesn't tell us here in these scriptures, but I'd be willing to say that Paul probably after they had the vision, he probably went and spent some time along with God in prayer and said, God, I, I've got the vision. I saw what you were showing me. But Lord, I had this plan here. Is this not where you want me to go? And Paul was probably shown by God that, no, this is where I want you to go. And if Paul was like me, he probably would have said and said, God, that, that, that's not on the schedule. I, I didn't really plan to go that way. I'm not sure if we got the money to cover that trip. That's taking us well out of our way, Lord. Are you sure? And probably the more he prayed, the more God confirmed it. And it says in verse 10 that he concluded that the Lord had called them to preach the gospel in Macedonia. So, here we see Paul has plans. God changed those plans. But he wouldn't have known that if he hadn't spent time with God. Now, there's two things I can take away from this tonight, and we're going to say this and, and we'll close. Have you ever had times in your life when you knew God was telling you to do something different than what you were doing and you just was just stubborn and you were going to do it your way anyway? We all have, haven't we? See, Paul could have said, you know what, Lord, I... I'll, I'll get that on my fourth missionary trip or my fifth one, but we're going here. I believe if he'd have done that, it would have been a huge failure. So when we seek God and God gives us instructions, we've got to follow those instructions. 
So that's a very important part of praying and listening to God is actually doing what God tells us to. God tells us to do things sometimes that doesn't make any sense. There's a lot of times in my life when God has told me to do something, made no sense to me at all until I went and done it. And when I got through with what I was doing, God showed up in His big way and I was like, okay, I see what you're doing, Lord. I'm so glad I listened to you because I would have missed that. I would have missed that, and it was a huge blessing to me in my life. So we can listen to God and be blessed, and I got news for you. Doing what God tells us to do sometimes takes us out of our comfort zone. But it is what God would have us to do, so we've got to be obedient. But here's what I want you to get, and I'm closing with this thought. If we hurry, I'm going to still make that 7.30 mark. <laughs> Y'all going, he ain't going to get through in time. But anyway, notice this. He did what the Lord told him to. Now, this is what's awesome to me. It's out of this chapter that we see Lydia get saved and is baptized. It is out of chapter... It, it, listen, when Paul wrote the book of Philippians, he's writing about these people right here. Uh, Lydia, when she gets saved and baptized, a church gets started in her home. And then on top of that, here's the cool part. Listen, Lydia wouldn't have got saved. You go on down into verse 16 of chapter 16. Paul and Silas gets imprisoned. And they get beat. And then it tells us down there, and at midnight, they sung and they worshiped the Lord. A Philippian jailer rushes in and says, what do I got to do to be saved? In other words, he saw two prisoners sitting in there with marks on their back who had beaten for preaching the gospel. These guys weren't like anybody else. They had been imprisoned and should have been fussing and grumbling. Instead, they were worshiping the Lord. And so while they're in prison, they, he asks, what do I got to do to be saved? He takes Paul and Silas home with him, cleans them up. The Bible says his entire family gets saved. You get where I'm going with all this? One act, listen, one moment of time alone with God, praying, seeking God's will, God speaks, we're obedient, and we see God show up. See, I can't save anybody. I can't change anybody's life, but I know the one who can. And when I spend time with God, God gives me directions. I exercise faith in God and obedience and do what God tells me to do. And then as I'm following out God's or, or, or living out God's orders for my life, individually or in the church, God's going to use me in somebody else's life. And people are going to be saved. And not only are they going to be saved, they're going to be eternally saved. They're going to have another inheritance. Listen, in, 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 I can't say the word. An eternal inheritance in heaven with the Lord. That is awesome. So basically what it means is because of Paul and Silas's obedience, this family here and Lydia went from on their way to hell to being on their way to heaven. And all it boils down to is this, the simple thing of spending time with God, talking with God, hearing what God has to say, and then being obedient to what He has said. It's just that simple. I mean, there, you can't go in a Christian bookstore or go on Lifeway and not find a church growth book. There are so many church growth books out there, and I probably own 20 of myself. I've had them give to me. I've gone to conferences where they're giving them away. Everybody's got their own opinion on how to grow a church. And, it is this, and you know, honestly, when you read God's Word, what it all boils down to is spending time with God and being obedient to His Word. That's it. If we'll do those things and we'll live a holy life like God has called us to, God will grow us. 
And when he grows us, he'll grow the church. It's not complicated. It's not complicated at all. I think we make it complicated. I think we're always looking for that fancy program that's just going to just wheel everybody in when, when it all boils down to the church just needs to fall in love with Jesus Christ and spend time with him. And he will speak into our lives, and when he does, we just have to be obedient. But I say that, but I struggle with it myself. Because we all do, don't we? Every one of us struggles to spend time alone with God. We all struggle to read our Bible like we're supposed to. It's a struggle. And I'll tell you why I think it is. It's the, it's the thing Paul wrote about, I think, in the book of Romans. I, I'm, it's either that or Corinthians, but I think it's Romans. Um, and I may be completely wrong. I know Paul wrote it, but remember Paul's the one who said because of that fleshly nature that still lives inside of me, he says, I struggle to do what is right. He said, there are things that I know to do that I don't do, and the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I end up doing. It's a struggle. Even Paul struggled, and it's not an excuse, but it is a struggle. That fleshly nature and that spiritual nature are constantly battle inside of us. Last night, I went in there and laid down uh, at, at the end of the, it was getting close to bedtime and I went in there and the girls and I were in the living room watching TV and I went in there and laid down on the bed and I thought, you know, and I'm just show you the struggle. I had a book laying on my nightstand that I'm in the process of reading, a Christian book. My Bible was there and I walked in and I looked at them and I thought, I'd rather watch TV. You know why? I was tired. Now, and I knew I needed to read it. Now, I had, I had read throughout the day, but I knew I needed to read again. But my fleshly nature says, I'm tired. I don't feel like thinking right now. So I turned on TV where I didn't have to think. I just stared at it. You know, just sit there and just drink tea and stared at it while I sit on the bed, you know. And, and so that was a fleshly battle. I was, I was just tired. And, and I think God understands our tiredness sometimes, but... Um, but at the same time, I think when we make excuses like that often throughout the day, well, then it gets to be kind of a, um, a habit, you know, of an excuse. So we've got to make sure we're making time for God. We've been closing out with prayer tonight. We won't do that. Tonight I'll just dismiss some prayer, and that'll be our dismissal. But, uh, but do make time for God. Please make time for God. You need it. Uh, if you say, Brother Vance, I don't have that much to pray about. Pray, about, pray for me. Man, I need it. I need the prayers. So pray for me and my family. And uh, we mean people. We need all the God we can get. Do what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need all the prayer we can get. So make time to pray. Let's dismiss. Father God, we love you tonight, Lord. And God, I'm so thankful uh, for the time that I got to spend with you today. Lord, it was good. And honestly, it was good enough. I can't wait till tomorrow morning. Uh, I look forward to getting alone again with you, Lord. And I pray that you would help me to guard that time. Uh, God, as we have kind of gotten moved back now and kind of all the business is kind of slowing down a little bit. Lord, I pray you would help me to guard that time tomorrow morning, Lord, and, and help me to get up in the morning like I'm supposed to and and get on about being along with you. And Lord, I, I anticipate what you have to show me tomorrow. And I look forward to the, uh, what you're going to do in my life tomorrow. And, and God, just because I spent the time with you this morning, the way I did, God, my day has been better.
than I've had in a long time. And Lord, I thank you for that. And God, I just want to pray for every person here tonight. I pray, God, that, uh, that as they leave tonight, I pray that they would begin to think about when they can carve out that time in their life. Sometimes it doesn't work best for everybody in the mornings. Maybe it is midday or maybe it's afternoon. But God, help them to find that time that they can get along with you. And God, may that time grow into more than one time a day. May it grow into like Daniel where they had, Daniel had three times a day where he got along with you. And God, we know that the more we can spend, the more time we spend with you, God, the better we are. Because God, we need all of you that we can possibly get to be the Christian witness that we need to be in this life. So God, I pray you would help everybody to find that time and I pray that you would help us all as a church to be faithful to you and to be in along with you, God, so that we might grow in our walk. God, I pray now for Sunday. God, I go ahead and I pray for the, for the ministries, Lord, that are going to be taking place Sunday here at Waynesville. And I pray that you would have the people here, God, that you want here. And I pray you'd have the message preached that you want preached. And I pray that hearts would be lined up with you. And I pray that if there's somebody going to be here Sunday, Lord, that needs to be saved, I pray that they would hear the message that they need to hear and they would surrender their heart and life to you. We pray for those today, God, who have had surgery. We pray you'd be with them. And uh, I pray you'd give them a speedy recovery. We pray for the Harper family tonight. And we pray for them, God, that you will uh, strengthen them throughout this night and throughout the rest of this week. And God, for, for all the months ahead, Lord, we just pray that you'll be with them. Lord, we know there's going to be difficult days. 